Welcome to the Force Multiplier for Law Enforcement podcast with your host, Lorenzo Valdivia. This is a place where we discuss different factors that give law enforcement officers the ability to accomplish greater feats and tasks than they would without it. We will have unfiltered, candid conversations with those who have knowledge, know-how, and bring what they feel are these different types of variables to help keep our law enforcement on their top game. Enjoy today's show. Welcome to Force Multiplier. I'm your host, Lorenzo Valdivia. Today we have with us Cliff Beverly, Bayerly. And Cliff is a everyday carry combatives coach, LEO control tactics instructor, jiu-jitsu black belt, former Marine and retired LEO. Cliff, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, brother, man. What's going on? Oh, not much. Just uh, enjoying life, man. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Cliff, if you wouldn't mind uh, introducing yourself to the yeah. listeners and uh, a little bit about what you do, uh, your background, especially, uh, you know, military law enforcement and as it relates to defensive tactics. Awesome. Yeah, sure thing. I, I hate this part, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, 23 years in the Marine Corps, 12 active, 11 reserves, all with first reconnaissance and fourth recon, fourth, uh, force reconnaissance out of Reno. Um couple years as a drone instructor. That's where I probably get my sense of humor from. But LEO, Los Angeles, predominantly all South Central. Martial arts background, got a black belt uh, in jiu-jitsu. Been doing jiu-jitsu for about 21 years. Got my black belt from uh, Rodrigo Pinheiro in San Antonio uh, with Hora Gracie uh, there as well. God, catch wrestler, started catch wrestling with Billy Robinson years ago. For law enforcement, I actually prefer the catch wrestling over BJJ, but that's another topic. A Muay Thai since the 80s. Uh, gosh, I was the in-service crab guy at LA, one of them anyway. Got arrested control, hit sits rich with all the handgun, shotgun, rifle instructor out there. So got us, I started doing, I'm 54. I started wrestling when I was six. So boxing when I was like nine, and then traditional karate, tank pseudo, right around the same time. So I got introduced into the entangled gunfight by Craig Douglas Shipworks back in like 2006. So I've been playing with that range of uh, weapons based grappling and shooting ever since. Let's talk on that a little bit. The, the weapons grappling. I think that's something different. Um, we haven't really gotten to talk about on the uh, podcast. Uh, you know, we talk about empty hand control, you know, and, and we get a lot of, of jujitsu defensive tactics instructors on here, but I think you bring a unique, unique view. Let's talk about that. And I'd like to find our way back to the wrestling piece. Cause that's another topic that we haven't talked about. And I think you, ha- yeah. you have some good things from what I've seen on your Instagram and videos that you've posted, but let's start off with the weapon scrappling. Do you get well, the, more info about that? Yeah, the, it's all entangled gunfighting. I mean, it's like, thanks to sitting in a hotel room, I was teaching at a class, I forget where, but I was at a course and, you know, the whole entangled gunfighting uh, actual real world scenario happened. So over a few fingers of bourbon, I started uh, doing some research and went from 2010 to 2017 and pretty in what I found out looking at the line of duty deaths in law enforcement in that 10 year period, 32% of law enforcement was murdered after they put hands on somebody. Mm-hmm. So it was either hands on contact and then a fight 
even though the lines of duty death, they always call it like a scuffle ensued, but I ended up dead. I, I think it was a little bit more serious than a scuffle. Mm-hmm. But anyway, in that 10 year period, it was either hands on and then a fight. And then the gun came out either bad guy or good guy, or it was hands-on, a fight, foot pursuit, and then a shooting, or it was hands-on, fight, foot pursuit, another fight, then the weapon came out. 2015 was the first year, if I remember correctly, where a law enforcement officer was a murder with their own handgun. We've already had a couple of those this year already. So that's kind of the range is like, because in traditional law enforcement, we're always talking about you know, create space, creating space. So if it's a lethal force encounter where I need to get to a gun, and this is kind of not only necessarily just a gun, but it's kind of any tool. I want to take away the bad guy's mobility Mm -hmm. and achieve some type of control before I introduce a tool. But in traditional law enforcement training, it's always break contact and then transition to a higher level of force. Um, if it's a lethal force situation and I've done some videos on like Instagram and social media talking about it, but it's, you know, if you need to be shot and I break that contact, I'm basically just creating a potential tie and ties and gunfights suck. Yeah. So, you know, so if I can take away your mobility and establish control and I can introduce that tool, what I refer to as earning the draw and shot. So if I can introduce that tool and you have no say in the matter, I'd rather start putting rounds on contact and basically shoot you off of me than trying to, you know, hopefully I'm faster than. So that's where like the whole, like uh, working the whole, like, entangled gunfight problem comes in. Yeah. And this is different than, you know, like you said, you know, keep the gun in the holster, get away. It's a different training. And I'll be honest, it's one I haven't explored yet. And, you know, I've seen your videos you guys do a lot of close. I mean, you're where, you know, these quote unquote scuffles start at. It's it's the entanglement, but it's dominating the entanglement by either some kind of back take or arm tie where they can't interfere with your drawer shot. Mm-hmm. You know, and they can't, and you're controlling their waistband and hands, so they can't access their weapons. So they really have no say in the introduction of force. And that's what we're, that's what I really focus on out here. I mean, I have two Connex boxes set up on my property with mats between them and, you know, 43 inches apart because the average American hallway is about 45 inches. Uh-huh. So I, I shorten it up. <laughs> so we do a lot of confined space stuff. I have three, uh, I have access to three single wide former like meth head trailers out here. I use for law enforcement out here. Right. We do all kinds of stuff that, I mean, we had one not too long ago. It was, they're actually putting the video together from drone where it was like a failure to yield or pursuit mm-hmm. that led to the driveway of one of the trailers had a fight to driver. The passer bailed out, ran inside the house. And then we had a, uh, Seminition blanks. So there was shots fired. So I, it was just a whole plethora of day gone really bad. So a uh, lot of layered scenarios that we can do out here with that entangled type gunfighting scenario. Hmm. It's interesting. It's like I said, it, it's different. It, it's something that uh, I've never seen before. So, you know, I'm definitely curious to to go back and research and, and learn a little bit more about that. Are you guys finding officers that have used this? And, and if so, you know, has oh, yeah. it been effective or, you know, ha- how have the results come from that? Well, you know, it's like, I know people 
I mean, and it's not only transitioning to lethal force, but the whole mindset of taking away your opponent's mobility, establishing dominant control before introducing even handcuffs, that isn't something that's even trained. So getting that across the law enforcement, you know, control before tools, I mean, it's been a huge success. You know, I've had a few people in my, in from the entangled gunfighting class over a, a couple of years, you know, they didn't need to shoot the guy because they controlled his hands and ways and he never got it to his gun. You know, they were able to put him, you know, basically on the ground, use it as a controlling agent, take him into custody. So, I mean, if they would have done the traditional model, create space, then it would probably want to shots fired, right. you know? So, which is, could have been a potential tie as well. Right. Yeah. I know one of the things I talk to my guys a lot about is, you know, if, if you have control of this person, right? I'm a big fan of neon belly for a police mm-hmm. officer oh, love to it. control yeah. somebody. And, you know, I'll ask the guys that I train, you know, Hey, how long are you going to stay here? And, you know, it's a trick question. I know what their answer is going to be. Right. Yep. I want to be there long enough to look at him and, and disengage. And yeah, why not? Neon belly is it's powerful, right? It, it takes the fight out of somebody. What, why not wait there for a minute? Yeah. You're in control. Well, I can see hands. I I can see around me, right? I, I have the ability to watch my back, watch, watch front sides. A uh, bad guy yep. can't get to my belt and he can't get to his. So why not hang out there for a minute? Why rush to put somebody in handcuffs? Right? That's what I always tell my guys. Yep. Why rush when you have control and you're safe? And the reality of it is to a police officer, that you're, they're not safe until they're in handcuffs. Like, yep. well, you know, I got to disagree with you. Yeah, because I mean, like a uh, knee ride, I mean, every technique in grappling will eventually fail. You know what I mean? So, you know, especially in law enforcement, it has to be transitional, but you can sure want people to comply with a proper knee ride. Oh, yeah. You know, (laughs) unfortunately, you know, some of these other states are transitioning where, like, you know, oh, you can't put your knee on. Like, I don't know how they're going to start controlling people. I think it's going to, lead to a lot more injuries with bad guy and an officer. If you can't put absolutely needs yeah. on body parts, it's crazy. New York experimented with that for a little bit. And then it finally got overruled by the courts. Oh, I didn't even know it got overruled. Yes. Yeah, so awesome. Yep. Got overruled by the courts. Courts came back and were like, nah, like, hey, th- there's nothing there. Right. So, you know, that put those officers at a lot more risk because yeah. you're taking away something that, and, you know, I mean, there was no pressure could be put on chest. So they, you know, they couldn't, you know, put the person down on their back and control them that way. If you put any pressure at all on the back or the chest, then, you know, you're it, it wasn't effective. So now you're left to standing or, you know, I, I could see a lot of deadly force situations oh, yeah. that from that. Or a lot of tasers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 50 percent, what, what is it like 50 some percent of taser fails? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the performance fail. So, I mean, at the magic sparky thing, isn't that magical, you know? Yeah. But so many officers are so tool dependent on it. It's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, it's nuts. But yeah, the knee ride, I, you know, that's like my go-to thing. That's like a main staple in my, in uh, the courses I teach to law enforcement. I mean, cause like you said, it's like you're taking away their mobility, but you still have your mobility. Right. I mean, it's so easy if, you know, secondary threats get involved, like domestic violence or whatever, it's so easy to break contact. You know, you have pretty much 360 field of vision. So 
Right. But yeah, it's a great tool if you use correctly. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about the wrestling. You know, I I think that's a, a vital part of defensive tactics because most police officers get put on the ground are from somebody trying to tackle them. Right. And you know, that, that wrestling piece, that, that defense piece of it, I think it plays a big part in it, but there's also times where somebody just needs to be taken off their feet and put on the, and having that understanding of that wrestling side. I think you got something there. Yeah. I mean, wrestling is huge. Like, like my jam has always been foot sweeps. I mean, I've spent a week for four or five days, God, years ago, out in Vegas, learning foot sweeps from like Randy Couture, working with like Gene LaBelle out in California. I mean, just focusing the, whoever I thought was really good with foot sweeps, you know, mm-hmm. back in the day, I, w- I would pay money, a lot of money to <laughs> go do privates with them just to get their take on it because, you know, foot sweeps in, I mean, it's a wrestling thing, but foot sweeps are money to put oh, people yeah. on the ground. But yeah, wrestling is huge because like I've been to jiu-jitsu schools all over the world and that's something that's missing in all of them. Hmm. I mean, just to go to uh, go to any jujitsu tournament, you know, 95% of, you know, the matches start by guard pulling, you know, it's like, yeah, that's not allowed. In, in my gym here. Right. Like you pull guard at that, that equals like kill sprints out here. But yeah, <laughs> and, guard. You know, I hate, I absolutely hate it when I go against somebody with a wrestling background. Yeah. I hate it. Uh, Cause I know there's a nice 90% chance I'm going to get taken down. Uh, yeah. Especially if it's somebody, you know, who's come up in school and, and whatnot with it wrestling. So a, a good wrestler is hard to defeat. Well, you know, it, it's funny because I was just talking to the guys that I train out here at my place and it probably took me all the way to brown belt to really realize like, so I was always like, you know, I'm in jujitsu class, so I'm going to make jujitsu work. Mm-hmm. And it really took me probably all the way to brown belt to realize like, I'm a pretty decent wrestler. So <laughs> why aren't I using it? Yeah. And, you know, now being one of the oldest guys in the gym up in San Antonio anyway, God, we got like 25 black belts at Rodrigo's mm-hmm. and I'm by far one of the oldest ones and wrestling. I mean, it's like a lot of these and probably out of the 25, like 12 or 13 of them are world champions or ranked very high in the world. You know, it's like, I'll never beat them, but I'm not getting smashed by them just because they don't understand wrestling. Right. You know, so, you know, and wrestling sets up so much other opportunities for you if you just know how to do it. Yes. You know, and it's funny because like none of those youngsters ever get a takedown on me, (laughs) you know, which is, is funny, but you know, it's like, but I just did a two weeks ago, I just did Eric Falson's his world camp out there in Fullerton got to train finally with Greg Nelson. Got to been training with Eric going back to like 2006, but Mm -hmm. you know, I really wanted, been wanting for years to train with Greg. I mean, he's such a, you know, OG when it comes to the MMA world, but his wrestling knowledge that he gave out that camp a couple of weeks ago is just freaking amazing. And it was like, as soon as I got back to Rodrigo's, I was instantly pulling stuff off <laughs> against guys who are way better than me just because right. it was wrestling. You know, it's like, God, I've been, you know, four five-time black belt world champions, you know, working with somebody and, you know, they ask them about like my wrestling stuff and, 
you know, they refer to it as that flopping around stuff because <laughs> they really don't understand wrestling. Oh, that flopping around stuff. I'm like, oh, you mean Grammy roll? Like sit out, switch? Like, yeah, that flopping around stuff, <laughs> you know? So, and it really depends what state you're in because here wrestling isn't, a thing, you know, it's like I tried to set a wrestling program up when we moved back here at my son's high school and they're like, no, it's all about high school football. I'm like, but you lost like, all but one game last year. So your football program sucks. So like, <laughs> yeah. And out here in Missouri, wrestling's huge. It's a huge thing out here. Both yeah. of my boys do wrestling and I helped coach it last year. And nice. It's big out here. Yeah. All in the Midwest. It's huge. Yeah. You know, that's phenomenal because wrestling is like life skills. Oh, you know? absolutely. it really is. And, and it's yeah. good self-defense. Oh, it is. You know, that's like, to me, wrestling's like the original self-defense. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you know, wrestling was being used in schoolyard fights way before <laughs> anything else was. You know? right. So, yeah, wrestling is huge. God, I started off like I was pretty lucky. You know, we had a pretty good boosters club when I was going. So like every July, I'd spend the whole month up in Iowa, down Gables Intense Camp. And then we would just bounce around to different places. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but yeah, I just I grew up wrestling. That was like, you know, a year round sport for us. Right. So. What so let's if you don't mind, can we jump back to your time at LAPD? Yeah. And let's talk about your time there, defensive tactics, maybe some things where you know that benefited you. You know, were you training prior to in defensive tactics when you first came in law enforcement, or was that kind of a wayside thing that you kind of had to bring up and come up? Well, no, it's like got it when I with LAPD, I was pretty lucky, uh, because like when I started in the mid nineties, they had a, uh, like big John McCarthy. Mm-hmm. He was my uh, defensive tactics instructor and no. uh, he was a blue belt under Hoyes at the time, but he was the one, uh, well, probably one of the main guys to actually bring the whole BJJ thing to LAPD. And actually that's where the 90% of all fights go to the ground originated from when they were trying to bring in the jujitsu side of it. They looked at like 10,000 use of force reports and like 90% of them went to the ground. But, you know, of course, you know, the Gracie's use that 90% for other marketing and stuff, but that's really where it came from. But yeah, I mean, I grew up in the reconnaissance community. So like, I mean, I've been training martial arts my whole life. So, you know, I was ahead of the game as far as defensive tactics go when I got into law enforcement, uh, because honestly, the LA was probably ahead of the curve with most from most agencies around the country. I mean, because mm-hmm. you know everything originates out there pretty much. Right. But I mean, they were ahead of the curve. But it's one of those deals where once I got out to the street. And on doing my probation and even after probation, the stuff they were teaching the academy, I'm like, that was bullshit. It's not <laughs> working. So, of course, like, you know, after a couple, you know, epic fails, I just like, you know, I'm just going to do what I know, which was wrestling and Muay Thai. You know, it's like, you know, foot chase some gangster because I work all South Central. So, you know, chasing people with guns and dope was pretty much a daily thing out there. And, you know, real fights start standing up, you know? So if he didn't have some kind of striking game to close that distance and put him on the ground, well, you know, good luck. Cause you know, they have some world-class boxing gyms in the ghettos. Right. So, you know, it's like, it's not just about wrestling. You know, we had some, I mean, very high level, 
strikers out there. Right. I mean, Sugar Shane Mosley still hangs out in one of the projects out there because he doesn't want to spend his money to move his grandma out. <laughs> you know, it, it's crazy. Right. So, I mean, he got a cousin out there that's just as talented as a, of a boxer, but he'd rather, you know, do street robberies and sell dope than, than train. But right. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the defensive tactics program was good, but it's, it's weird because like when I first started every two and it was every two years, you had to do a 16 hour research <laughs> after the Academy. And now, like when I left, it was pretty much non-existent. It went from a pretty decent, uh, granted it was every two years, which is horrible. Right. You should be doing something almost every month or at least every quarter, but it's a big department. So I get it. But the two year research was pretty solid 16 hours. And uh, I mean, we used to put on gloves and, and actually get after it. But, and then a few years later, it was like, oh, we're going to go hit this rubber tire with the baton and that's your research. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then it went to like, Hey, watch this video. You know, cause you can't put hands on anybody now. Right. So, I mean, it's, it started off really good and then it is, you can see the decline where, oh, it's offensive that put hands on people. Right. So, and I have no clue what they're doing right now, but. And then we find, you know, with that, as that declines and we find use of force goes up, right? Excessive use of force, we'll call, goes up higher because they don't have those skills to be able to control somebody. Yeah. I mean, it's like the station I worked at in, in Watts area, it was 11, the patrol district was 11.3 miles. We have five housing projects, three major ones, two smaller ones. And we had at the time, 109 active gangs documented in that 11 mile area. So it was a very busy area. We had 330 officers on paper at the station and maybe six of us actually trained on our own time out of the 330. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just ridiculous. I know being in the gang and narcotics unit, my partner and I, I had a, she was awesome, but cause her and I, we were partners for about seven or eight years, but she's now retired. She owns a 10th planet gym in New York, but you know, it's one of those deals where like her and I in the gang unit, we were only two in the gang unit that would train, (laughs) you know, everybody else like, Oh, I'm going to go get, you know, to the cop bar and, you know, it's like, oh, we're going to go train. You know I mean? It's like, what is your priorities? You know? And then you had the guys, of course, like they would spend two grand on season tickets to go watch the Dodgers lose. And they could complain that they can't, <laughs> and then they complain, oh, I can't afford jujitsu class. Right. You know, it's like, we had this one guy, uh, in, he got, I mean, tuned up by a 17 year old crackhead that basically walked into the wrong house. And I offered him like, Hey, you know, come out train Saturday. We'll work the problem. I got a golf tea time. Mm-hmm. That's not helping you, bro. You know, yeah. but that, you know, that's, that's the problem. You know, you, I don't know how to incentivize people to train. And that's the big question, right? How do we do it? You know, I, I told people before I started a, every Thursday, come to my house. I got Matt space, all LEO. I went to every police department, went to the sheriff's office and invited everybody show up for free. I'll give you guys a free hour of training once a week. And that went on for a year and nobody showed up. Wow. Right. So I said, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to kind of dangle something for him, right? Something to bite on. So 
I wrote out a curriculum and I got it post-certified here. So now when they come, after they attended 16 classes, they would get 16 uh, continuing education units for free. They just had to show up and train. And finally, finally, I got one officer to show up. Wow. And one's winning. Yeah, you know, and it is. And then, you know, that went on for uh, a little while being three, four months. And then that one disappeared. Wow. And yeah. I, God, I was out here probably for about four or five years before I ever got anybody to show up. I have a pretty good group now. We meet once or twice a week. But here in my county, there's at least six agencies at least that I can think of, maybe a couple more. There's t- at least two deputies. And one DPS trooper that lives within a couple miles of me, mm-hmm. but nobody from the county shows up out here for free training. I have a couple of firemen, but nobody LEO that shows up. Um, it's crazy. Everybody, that, yeah, everybody that trains weekly, they all drive at least an hour to get here from other counties. Yeah, but it's, nobody. It's to me, it's like a small town. How you know? Dare you defy my authority? Mindset. Yeah. And even though I've even had off, I I had a deputy that literally got beat by a guy. The only reason she's alive is because somebody was there and helped her. Mm -hmm. And I've shared the story on here before. And I reached out, you know, I gave her a little bit of time, right? I don't want to just hurry up and jump out and reach out. I gave her a little bit of time to process and and understand what happened to her and uh, reached out to her. And I said, Hey, I'll go one-on-one training with you. If you don't want to go to group training, mm-hmm. I'll give you the CEUs when you're done, but you know, let's prep yourself. And uh, she said, Oh yeah. Like, please add me to your group. Cause I, I had a, a Facebook group going and three weeks after she was added, she deleted herself and disappeared. Wow. It's like, I mean, you of all people yep. know how much you need this, right? Had that person not been there, had you been alone, you might not be here today. Yep. And you know, it comes down to what does it take? for them to get out there and drain. Well, you know, this area, I forget who was talking. It was another podcast, but this area where I'm at has more former special operations dudes. So, I mean, you got some of the most highly skilled, dangerous people in the world living around here. And the VA here, is just handing out meds like Tic Tacs. And like, I mean, it's, and you're not preparing in, you know, it's, Hell, even the Air Force has a combatist program, for God's sake. You know what I mean? So it's, (laughs) you know, but these guys, it's like, it's never going to happen to me. It's just the mindset is nuts. You know, and they're right. It doesn't happen until it does. Uh Yeah. And like, you know, similar story of yours. I had a girl, God, this was probably, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, a Dallas female almost got killed and another crackhead female strangled her with a piece of wire in an alley. And I reached out to her like, hey, I'm going to be up in your neighborhood, come to training for free. And her excuse for not showing up, she had a hair appointment on Wednesday. So I told her she'll look beautiful for her funeral and have a, <laughs> have a good career. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, we can't want it more than they do. And yeah, we do. Yeah. But, you know, they have to want to go home as bad as, as we want to go home at the end of the day is what it comes down to. Well, like a couple of the deputies, I mean, I have enough CrossFit equipment out here or weights, whatever you want to call it. I have actually bought it. It's a CrossFit package that I bought years ago for five people. And you know, I told these deputies because like 
their chance of having a heart attack is pretty high because they're huge. And, you know, it's like, hey, just come out here and walk on the treadmill, get on the rower, you know, nothing. Don't show up. Our our gate's always unlocked. Mm -hmm. Just come work out. It's free. Yeah. And it's close to your house. Yeah. Yeah. Can't get them to show up. Same thing, man. You know, every Thursday, 630, come show up to my house and I'll be here. I'll lay out the mats. Um, Yeah. I got about 400 square feet of mat space down here. Oh, awesome. Basement. So come on guys, let's do this. But you know, I think that's one of those, the world may never know the answer to that question of of how do we get these guys to train? I mean, and I, you know, it's like I'm out here in the middle of nowhere and I still train upwards of five days a week. You Mm -hmm. know, I mean, I'm still taking, I'm still paying out of pocket for gun classes, CQB classes, trying to stay current. You know, it's like, I try to, go to as much training as I can, because when people do come out to train, I want to make sure they have the most current information. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So it's like, but that's also a problem in, you know, this training business, people get to a certain point where they think they have all the answers, mm-hmm. you know, they've, you know, if they were their focus on their resume, then their craft. So, right. Yeah. And you know, yeah, I, it's, I'm it's always crazy. trying to learn something new, you know, Yeah, me uh, too. If, if you had to talk to me a year ago, you know, and, and this is one of those things, right? If you'd have talked to me a year ago, I would have said all police officers need to do jujitsu and all police officers needed need to be blue belts. You talk to me today and I am. Nope. Not, not at all. I 100% disagree with that yeah. um, because I'm learning, I'm educating, you know, different views on things now that, you know, well, you know maybe the, I was closed minded before. Well, it's like, I don't know. I look at everything from a 10,000 foot view. Yeah. And God, being a company gunny in charge of training at first recon before I left active duty, you know, institutionalized training never works. I was like class number one for the McMath program in 2000. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you to go that, training then, huh? yeah, that never worked. You know, even though it was a, like so many hours per week, your platoon or company had to do for promotional bullshit, you know, it's like they would just stand around the pit. You know, so institutionalized training never works. But, you know, the funny thing is like one of those, you know, everybody should do jujitsu groups was like, I, where I live, there's not a jujitsu school within a hundred miles of me. Right. And of course this one guy was like, well, you know, I have an app, you know, buy my app. And I'm like, bro, I just Googled your town. You have one of the best wrestling teams in the state. Go find the coach. They always want heavyweights. Right. You know, and that's what he's doing. He was like, dude, that was awesome. I'm in the best shape of my life. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, go find your wrestling team, dude. You don't need like, you know, one, you're not going to learn anything off of an app in any way. You know, it's, it's crazy. You know, it's like to me, real fights start standing up. So if you don't have a striking background, I'll shut down your grappling with striking. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you see it in the UFC all the time. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I've kind of gotten into uh, a, a little more recently, and I'm, I'm going to go to some schools for it here soon, is, you know, how I eliminate your jujitsu on the ground uh, as a police officer, you know, going against somebody. Mm-hmm. I introduce a knife. Yeah. It, yeah. that Your jujitsu is no good anymore once I pull out a knife because you don't train for that. Yep. It, it, it multiplies my force and allows me to take what you had that was great, right? They was going to control me and go, yeah, good luck with those skills now. Yeah. Well, you know, Oklahoma State Police, what is it called? Cleat up there or something like Mm -hmm. that? Oklahoma State Police Academy actually teaches knife usage in the academy. uh, Yeah, I don't know. I didn't know that until 
May when I took a class from Bill Rapier, awesome dude for that kind of stuff. His combatives course from American Tactical. Um, and he has some badass knives too, the, like fixed blade knives. But yeah, I guess some Oklahoma State Trooper stabbed some dude like 44 times. So they're like, okay, if we're going to... And I, it was justified, but they're like, okay, I guess we need to teach people how to use it correctly. So, yeah. So now they're doing, uh, they brought in the Sayoc guys and they have a whole block on offensive knife up there. Yeah. So I follow up and the program that I follow and use is called uh, strategic self-defense and gunfighting tactics. There are Southern Alabama, Arkansas, Louisiana, Georgia, those areas is where they're primarily at. And they just introduced an edge weapon defense course. And, you know, it, it, it goes based off of that too, is how many police officers carry a knife? Yeah. Well, just about everybody. Yeah. How many police officers know how to effectively use that knife? Yep. Maybe one or 2% of police officers that carry knives. And then if you go back to that, of how many departments have policies in carrying knives? Yeah. I, I bet you there's about half a percent that do. Yep. Yeah. I mean, in a interesting thing after training with Bill Rapier this year, you know, talking about the different knives, I like now I pretty much strictly carry a fixed blade pocket knife because, you know, he brought up a good point. He's like a folding knife is already half broken. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, cause under stress you're trying to, cause if I can't get to my gun and I'm trying to get to a knife, that means it's predominantly my offhand. So I'm trying to open a knife with my non-dominant hand under stress. So I just carry a fixed blade, you know, for offensive use. Right. So I even got my wife into, I mean, she has her gun permit, but it's like, you know, like I was telling her and some of the other women I work with, like a small fixed blade knife and training how to use it is for women. It's can be more viable than a gun because if you look at assaults on women, Mm. guys are grabbing them, taking them to different places, whatever. And if you know how to use, you know, a fixed blade knife, well, it's way harder to take away and you can solve a problem a lot faster than trying to get fighting over a gun. Yeah. You know, I was talking to my wife, you you bring up uh, women in in self-defense and, you know, we'll even say men in self-defense, right? Non in law enforcement is a knife when used properly, right? Against a headlock, against a bear hug. You know, if you know how to utilize that knife properly, man, uh, you can get out of a lot of situations. Um, Yeah. And I started started working uh, with my wife and training her on things and you know, Hey, this is, this is how you get out of a bear hug this way, or this is how you get out of a headlock this way, right? We're not going to take that knife and just start stabbing into that guy. We're going to strategically cut certain joints that are going to immobilize those joints by take, getting rid of those tendons, those, those muscle groups that they need. And we'll leave him trying to figure out how to use his arm while I get yeah. away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, well, you know, the problem though, with like the self-defense stuff is, you know, it's, especially with men think they can fight till they have to fight and they realize mm-hmm. they, they don't know how to fight. But also it's like, even like trying to advertise and I'm not good at marketing, but <laughs> even posting videos, you know, I had one guy earlier in the year, I forget what class I was doing. I think it was in my entangled gunfighting. He was like, well, somebody gets close enough to me to punch me. My aim was bad. And I'm like, Ugh. I'm like, well, <laughs> like you're not far from me. So come train for free and let's test that theory. Right. And you know, he was like, and of course, all the excuses started. 
Yep. You know, and then I sent him a private message like, well, dude, you probably don't want to put that out there in the social media world, because if you do shoot somebody, it's going to be on a great big poster in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. You know, you were afraid to get hit. So you just shot my client out of fear, you know, so it, it's I crazy. Damn, you know, I've heard that too. <laughs> well, if they punch yeah, me, I'll just I, shoot them. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Let me know how that holds up in court for you. Well, we had, I, I was working with an agency here and, you know, there was one of the cops there at the end of day one, we did it. Well, we do a debrief at the end of each day, but in the day one, this guy, his closing statement was, I have the strength of a seven-year-old and I'm like, wow, you're actually a grown ass man in law enforcement. And you're proud of that. And he was like, yeah, I'll just shoot him. I'm just like, oh, okay. I like those guys that do that to me, especially in defensive tactics courses or, yeah. you know, when we're going somewhere and I go, Oh, so somebody attacks you, you would just shoot them. Right. Yep. And they're like, yeah, that's exactly what I would do. I said, cool. Pull out your gun. Show it to me. Oh, I don't have my gun on me. Yeah, uh, exactly. Go ahead and sit down and let me finish uh, my class today. <laughs> you know, the, yeah, the funny thing is like with this guy, you know, and his sergeant, like I was doing like entire like shift blocks and his sergeant's like, yeah, he has a, you know, house full of guns. That's his mindset. I'm like, okay, is it okay if I be his bad guy when we do scenarios tomorrow? And he was like, okay. And as soon as we like started the scenario, I hit him with like the hardest, like salt stealing takedown, ripped his gun out of his holsters, literally like hammer fisted him in the helmet with it. I'm like, I'm waiting to be shot, dude. And he was just like, literally like after about 30 seconds, just went limp and quit. Yeah. You know, and I told his watchmates, I'm like, that's your backup. Yeah. You know, I mean, not only that, but let's, let's talk about it right there. You know, oh, I'm on, when I'm on duty, I'm going to have a gun. Well, let me ask you this. You were LAPD and I know some of the things you did down there. Cause you know, I, I went and trained with some of those guys and did some ride alongs with those guys. When you go into a jail, where does your weapon go? Yeah. It goes in a box or in a trunk of your car. And what do you not have with you now on duty with a vest and a badge? Yeah. And you're surrounded by, that's a cool theory guys, but and I've, I've had a realistic world guys. Yeah. And I've had some really good fights with naked people during strip searches. Cause they didn't want me to get the dope in their ass. Yeah. I was you in know? the jail when I was down there with, <laughs> with the guys and we went in, we were taking in a guy for uh domestic. And as soon as we got him into the door, another guy, punched the officer that I was walking, you know, I was walking in with keep taking the domestic guy. This dude just attacked him out of nowhere. And, you know, man, we got to get away from that. I mean, we used to have fights all the time. And here's one of the more dumber things I did. We were booking a guy at, at the jail in the station. And of course my, my partner, and I both did it. Funny thing. Our guns was in a locks box. Cop puts out a help call foot pursuit dude mm-hmm. with a gun. And we bail out. And I'm coming out of the car. I go to draw my gun and I'm like, oh shit, it's still in the lockbox. <laughs> Luckily I had an extra one in the car, you know, but it's like, son of a bitch. You yeah. Know? I, but, I, yeah. <laughs> but that's why I started, you know, I, after that, my, when I took somebody to the jail, my gun always went to the trunk of the car instead of the right. station lockbox. Right. Like, ah, lesson learned. <laughs> Never yeah. I mean, I've done that too. Went running out. Mm, man. <laughs> 
I guess I'm running out if something happens because I, I got nothing, right? <laughs> Throw my baton or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Throw your flashlight out, like teach a hooker and stuff. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, man, you know, that's that that sadly is police officer some police officers mentality. And you know, for some of those officers, they don't know until they get into that situation. Yeah. Uh, and even unfortunately, some of them still don't learn. Oh yeah. I mean, you see that all the time. It's like, there was an incident years ago up in Dallas area and, you know, the officers in the area, they have actually a pretty good MMA team and they invited him, Hey, come train for free. You know, it's like, Oh no. And of course, you know, he just promotes and then tells everybody what a great street cop he was, (laughs) you know, it's like, I don't need that. Like you're almost killed by an ex con and you're saying you don't need that. Like, okay. You know, it, it's crazy, mm-hmm. you know, but the other thing too, it's like not only like fighting skills, but like fitness, how many cops are dying of heart attacks? Yeah. I mean, it, it's nuts. Like, especially here in this area, like I was driving home today from the gym in uh, San Antonio and God, there's a local cop in a neighboring town that I was going through. And I, I don't know where they made a vest big enough for it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, I, 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 I know some like that. And, you know, we were talking about that uh, a few weeks ago on a podcast that I released. I had a guy that was a law enforcement officer and fitness coach. And, you know, that's one of the things we talked about was, yep. you know, fitness and yep. laziness, right? Eating right, eating habits, you know, all of that plays into the ability yep. to defend yourself. Especially as you get older, man, it's like me being 54 with, a, I mean, just a boatload of injuries from mainly the things I did in the military, but man, you know, fitness is like, you know, it's like number one that allows me to do all the other training. Right. You know, it's like, I just had a classmate uh, a couple of weeks ago died of a heart attack, you know, it's like, and he's younger than me. I think he was like 50. I think he just hit 50, you know, dead of a heart attack. Yeah, it is. And, you know, until somebody can figure out that magical question, how do we get officers to invest in their own life? You know, I don't think that we can. I always tell my uh, students that I had when I was at the police academy, this isn't an eight to five job, guys. This isn't a bank job. You can't show up, do your job and leave and go home and never think about it. Law enforcement is a lifestyle. And if you're not willing to invest your own time, your own money, do yourself a favor, do your family a favor and and go find a different job. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately law enforcement is the most unprofessional profession we have. (laughs) I mean, if you really think about it, I mean, if you look at other like, you know, pilots, how much training do we have to go to every year to stay certified? Right. You know, doctors, you know, it's like, they're constantly going to conferences and you know, it's like, but law enforcement, once they're out of the academy, especially here in these small towns where there's no training budgets, you know, it's like once they're out of the academy, it, it's, you know, over. Well, and, you know, you're required 24 hours a year of wow. annual training. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's nothing. Yeah. So well, I know one agency here by me, I mean, their defensive tactics research is like watching a, a police one video. It's crazy, man. Yeah. There's no zero hands on. No. Yeah. Cause Oh, you know, we're already understaffed. So we can't have anybody get hurt. Yeah. Like you only get injuries happen because you don't train. Yeah, absolutely. You know, your yeah. Your body becomes, you know, it becomes stagnant and fragile. You know, your body's meant to be used, you know, and 
you know, it's like I've most of the injuries that I've seen in the stuff that I teach, it's all from not doing anything active, you know, except maybe working your thumbs on Xbox or whatever you do. (laughs) And yeah, you know, it's like, and they get hurt because they have to get up and down more than once, you know, an hour or something. It's crazy. You know, that's where the injuries happen. Like we had an injury happen at a local department that I work with a lot. And uh, even their DT guys went to the chief was like, look, this is why, you know, they don't do anything active and you don't require them to do anything active. So of course, you know, injuries are going to happen. You know, they don't even know how to fall down. Yeah. You know, so like they fall, like one guy hurt his shoulder because he didn't listen to how to like, break fall and he reached for the mat and hurt his shoulder, <laughs> you know, cause he's so non-athletic you know, and overweight. It's like, you know, if you don't have a training standard, of course there's going to be injuries. And a training standard that is specific yep. requirements, not do DT for four hours uh, a month. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, what, what, okay. I'm going to go swing a, a baton for four hours and I just hit my requirement. Right. Yeah. We got to be specific on it. And until we do that, I don't think we'll be able to resolve a lot of these problems. Well, I think each department, I mean, as far as like in LA, we, we had a, a, like a training group at every station, like training supervisors and stuff like that, but they did a horrible job to me. It's like, it's just like going on a combat deployment or even a peacetime deployment, like a Westpac in the Marine Corps, you have these boxes you need to have checked off before you can go and play overseas for six months. Right. You know, you had your shooting packages, you had your med packages. I mean, you know, you had to do in in the reconnaissance community, you had to do so many combat dives, so many, you know, jumps, nighttime jumps, combat equipment jumps, you know, and then once you were all checked off, you did like a final scenario eval and then if the you know the powers that be was like yeah you can go overseas and not embarrass the marine corps you're good and you know you can go do it and you know law enforcement should be the same way it can't be just about you know we're so wrapped around the axle with about making jujitsu mandatory we forget about how real fights start standing right you know and, you know, it's so funny too, because, you know, I've seen videos on social media of ju- high level, great, awesome jujitsu guys, but now they're trying to teach a striking thing, but it's like hoist doing a little stomp kick <laughs> in 93. That would be an epic failure now. Right. You yeah. know, that's a whole different topic. We'll have to. We'll yeah. Talk but about you know, it. I've but seen it, some it, crazy it, stuff. <laughs> oh, it, it, it's like. You know, okay, dude. Okay, you're a jujitsu guy. Stay in your lane. If you never trained striking, don't. You're doing it injustice by like, you know. Let's hit mats. You know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. go hire a boxing coach. Yeah. So let's let's close out today's episode. I want to talk more on that. Let's get together and record another yeah. one, and let's talk about crazy <laughs> stuff that we see. But let's leave it with this. What you know, to the, the listeners out there that, you know, people that don't train, get out there and challenge one person to come train with you. Get get one person in your department to, to get to your next defensive tactics, whatever it is you do and see if you can change one life. See if you can make one person better. Yeah. Cause I mean, my group started with one about three years ago. Now we have like 10. Yes, sir. So that one brought one. 
Yeah, sir. I uh, appreciate you coming on this week. I look forward to setting up uh, another conversation. Awesome. As I do every week to the listeners out there, I remind you to get out there and be better for yourselves, be better for your family, be better for your friends, and most importantly, be better for those that you encounter daily in your job. Awesome.